Hi everyone, welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest of my podcast today is John Papadakis, founder and CEO of Polfish. Essentially, Polfish started because we had apps and we wanted to monetize them. But advertising didn't work for our apps and we were thinking there must be a better way to monetize those apps and that way to be less intrusive, we we don't want to spam our users. Mm -hmm. So we created the Pulfus library first and we saw that people, you know, uh, respond to surveys within the app and in a few days we had like hundreds of thousands of people. So the company started from our need to monetize and from the opportunity that the mobile app ecosystem its early days, 2013, was a new distribution channel for market research. It's a two-sided marketplace, you need supply and demand, and we can't have both. So we started with the supply, focused there for a couple of years, and then we launched Polfis as it is today to solve the fast decision-making problem. This is John. He started his career as an Android developer. He's passionate about platforms and businesses that scale, and has always had a particular focus on the mobile domain. In 2011, he co-founded Pajab, a service which allowed to create native Android applications that didn't need update or installation, thereby combining the best of the native app world and the web app world. In 2013, he founded Polfish, a platform that provides brands a revolutionary way to learn, communicate and interact with existing and prospective customers. And that inspired me. And hence I invited John to my podcast. He explored their journey to create a new category and the challenges to grow customer trust by establishing a large enough audience of close to a billion consumers. We also discussed his secrets of growing the Polfish business and how simplification and trust in people have been a great asset in that. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, why, if you want to boost momentum, it is key to focus your go-to-market on your core strengths and true values and avoid anything that's outside of the scope. Secondly, how smart packaging can enable you to change perception and with that open complete new market opportunities. Thirdly, why your customers don't want to worry about figuring out your message. They want it simple, so simple that they can share it with their boss. And fourthly, by throwing away an impressive KPI sheet and focus on just two numbers, gave focus and boosted creativity amongst all staff. Well, hi John. Thank you for being the guest on my podcast today and making the time available on your busy schedule, which I imagine you have. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. uh, Pleasure. Pleasure to meet you as well. Okay. Well, I mean, we we got introduced to each other through a couple of people at the end and diving into what your company Polfish is doing. I got intrigued because I know a couple of companies that have been evaluated at extreme numbers and this is definitely a space that's hot. 
I mean, I come from the enterprise research planning world and that is a very transactional world and every, every decision that's being made through those type of solutions is, is based on, on history and transactions and not about, how do you call it, experiential data. So I love when it's, this is coming together, hence the invite. Before we start, the question I typically ask for the last couple of months to people that are on my podcast is to characterize yourself. So if you had to describe yourself with two or three words as an entrepreneur or as a person, what would those words be? That's a good one. I would say not too analytical, more of a gut feeling many times rather than analytical approach. Again, within the, you know, essentially a spectrum of reality, right? You cannot be too gut feeling or too analytical, but I would, I would go through the spectrum of if something makes sense, most likely is the correct one. If something is very complicated, then, you know, we'll do some analysis, but most of the things are pretty straightforward, what works, what doesn't work, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. And I like that mostly with my people, people that work together, trusting their essentially their gut or trusting their feeling about something. This is where I put most of my value of my focus in terms of hiring people. Definitely product focused, believing product growth within, again, the spectrum of reality, right? You cannot have a product without having any notion of marketing or any notion of sales, but having everything all together I believe the true differentiating factor, especially in today's time where everybody has the option to just click away, click in, opt in, is the product. This is what sets you apart. These are the two the things that I would say characterize me. Nice, nice, nice. And I'll come back on a couple of things later in this interview, but product-led growth is something that I actually follow as well, actually reading a book about it at the moment. Right. And I, yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, that's the reason why I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect, that that's something in your in your product or in your solution needs to be something that people talk about and when that is happening the thing comes from within and it becomes yeah i mean you can have customers turning into advocates advocates bringing you more business that you could buy with marketing so like that but going then to your company a company called polefish i saw that it started january 2013 that is really early in that in that stage of yeah, in the business in the cat- category that you're in i would say so what is the big idea behind this company? What was the problem that you saw? Again, great question. It's very different what's the problem we're solving we're, because we're now and why we started the company because the company essentially solved two problems. So I can, I can tell you what the company is today and uh, what Polfis is now. So Polfis is a platform that enables brands to do their decision-making very fast, very iterative on their own. So they don't need to go to market research agency. They don't need to get into the market research specs. If they have a question, they can just, you know, put the question in the system. We will go out and find the people to answer it and they will have insights. And that, that happens within a matter of hours, maybe days, but mostly hours. So we empower fast decision-making and iterative decision-making. The how it started is a little bit different because it lies to where we find the people. So essentially, with Polfish, you can create your survey, you can select the targeting, and then we'll go out and find the people to answer your survey to get you the data that you need. Up until when we started the company, the only way to get people was to gather a bunch of emails and then tell them that, hey, I'm going to be sending you surveys every now and then. And if you answer those surveys, you will get like five bucks or two bucks. We didn't do that. We are monetizing. We are actually finding people through a very different way. And this is through mobile phones and websites. So what we're doing is that we have created a library, Pulses library, that an app developer can put in their app and their users will see our client surveys, okay? And every single time one of their users responds to a survey, the app publisher will get a revenue share. 
and the user will get something within the app. So it's like the advertising system, but instead of ads, you have surveys. Instead of advertisers, you have researchers or brands. And essentially, Pulf is started because we had apps and we wanted to monetize them, but advertising didn't work for our apps. And we were thinking there must be a better way to monetize those apps. And that way should be less intrusive. We, we, don't, we don't want to spam our users. Mm-hmm. So we created the Pulfus library first, and we saw that people you know, uh, respond to surveys within the app. And in a few days, we had like hundreds of thousands of people. So the company started from our need to monetize and from the opportunity that the mobile app ecosystem its early days, 2013, was a new distribution channel for market research. Interesting. And then when we had all those users, then we started focusing on the creating the platform to create surveys so that our clients can get the insights. It's a two-sided marketplace. (laughs) Right. It's a two-sided marketplace. You need supply and demand, and we can't have both. So we started with the supply, focused there for a couple of years, and then we launched Polfis as it is today to solve the fast decision-making problem for companies. Reminds me of a conversation I had in a completely different industry with a company called Sineta from Norway. We were just talking mm-hmm. about Norway and they, they have sort of disrupted the whole market for container shipping, not by going to the suppliers, but going to the buyers and, and capture all their information first. So sort of a similar right. approach. I like that. But once you've got that group, it becomes extremely interesting for the people that actually want to do the research because direct access to all these people. That is correct. Actually, it boils down to two attributes that you can only have them if you do have that ecosystem already, yeah. is that the cost, we don't need to pay somebody else to actually get the data. So we pass that cost savings to our clients. And then the second part is that the speed that you get those, because we're talking about massive distribution with a mobile, we're talking about you know the billions of people, the billions of sessions. So the, the speed is very fast compared to the previous methodologies. On the flip coin, when we started, that was something completely new. Yeah. Nobody knew if they could trust this method. Nobody knew if we have history about the research or we have valid data about the, the results. So yeah, we solved a couple of those issues first really fast, but we have the difficulty of convincing clients to become clients, prospects to become our clients. And that's essentially a process that after the couple of years of having a couple of clients or our data being validated time over and over again, and today, what we're doing is it has a name. It's called random device engagement. So we had to go write papers and publish papers to do that. But today, we, we have essentially created a very established way of research. And now that's not a problem anymore. Yeah. And what I see on your website is turning the tables on traditional market research. And now I understand what you mean with that. Because the traditional way to go market research is like it's very slow. It's highly costly. And you do indeed turn the table and make it super fast and, and very cost-effective. So what is the opportunity if you get this right? If you, talk for exa- if you look at, for example, before and after for your customers, what, what is that transformation that they go through with this? And what is the result for them? You mean by using our platform? Yeah. Yeah, so actually we have, because we are self-served, we have a big number of clients that transact with us every, every, every day. One major difference on our client base, I would say, before I go to your question, is that we started off with very small companies that couldn't afford research. But now as we're you know, moving towards bigger companies, they choose us because they, they like the speed and they like the iterative process. So what we see today is that companies want to eliminate risk. And because 
the cost factor is not a problem anymore. Those rates that we are research support, more and more decision making can go through a validating process. Research will never give you the answer 100%. You need to have a hypothesis, you need to have a basis, you need to have a couple of things. But the validation comes from research. And we see clients you know, use that all the time for validating small ideas, big ideas, strategies. Sometimes they follow it, sometimes they don't. That's up to the client, that's up to the, what data they collect. But we see that research and available research at scale eliminates the guesswork and enables validation on small decision making. True. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine that when you, when you try it once and you get the results that give you a good feeling about it, that's, you start to see so many more use cases and just say, okay, for this, well, we just ask. And we have the, we have, before the end of the meeting almost, we have the validation in-house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that's the principle. Yeah, well, that, that reminds me of something else which I'll talk about in a little while. So let me see. You talked about how it all started, that you started from a completely different perspective, that it at the end turned into a platform that's now turning the table in terms of traditional market research. So in that whole development and yeah, evolution, the development process and the evolution of your company, what I'm always interested about is how do you create something that, that creates remarkable value? I mean, I talked about writing my book, The Remarkable Effect, but what have you done differently with your platform that customers keep talking about, or that keep, keep coming back to because mm-hmm. they want more? So when you really want to excel with something, you need to choose, right? You need to choose a couple of things. You can excel with your messaging and like immediately, you know, people will understand it. They can, you know, talk about you and, or you can promote case studies, right? The things that you can do for us is really elevating the two core aspects of our, uh, the core values of both of us. That is the cost and the speed. And uh, that's really Really, we, we focus there. So immediately, the clients talk about that. Oh, I was so impressed about the speed. I was so impressed about what this platform can do at the amount of money they, they asked me for. So that's the two things. As we went, you know, as years go by, we also added another, and that would be the attention to the client. We, we pay extreme attention to our clients and our, essentially our support team and customer success team are one of the best teams that I've ever seen. And our clients talk about it. So our clients will talk about our amazing support, our amazing speed, and that the cost for value ratio. And we don't want them to talk about anything else, really. We we push towards that direction. We push towards the speed or the the, the support excellence and to provide value that is, you know, weights more than the cost. Let me make a small interruption here. John just made an excellent remark about how honing in on just two core strengths help them to grow the number of people endorsing their product for its true values, and with that, accelerate their momentum. Often we try to overcomplicate things, because there are so many things we can do. But what matters is keeping it simple, by bringing things down to the essence. That will get noticed, and drive desire for your product. It's a trait remarkable software companies master. They realize they cannot please everyone, and that focusing on the essence gets them further, faster. You can master these traits as well. And I got two options for you to start. First, read or listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect. You can find that on Amazon.com. Secondly, get into action right away and surround yourself by a group of like-minded people, tech founders and CEOs that will help you remove your blind spots, explore new paths and sharpen your thinking. How? Just visit valueinspiration.com and see the videos where many of your peers 
share their experiences about our tribe and what they have come to value most. Back to the interview. I mean, I can imagine that a lot of companies would just be screaming to you, just have one of those factors that customers would talk about. And you have three. So, well, good for you. And that reminds me of something else. A discussion recently I had with one of the members from my tribe about creating defensible differentiation. And what he said as the founder of a company that's in the accounting space, that, that mm-hmm. every on, on different periods, he is challenging his team to enable the service to run at an even lower cost or even higher speed and just you know to, to raise the bar again and not sit sit back and and see wait a minute we're, we're we're doing fine he constantly wants to kind of get it to another level so that competition cannot catch up with that do you have similar type of mechanisms going on not exactly as you described but i would say I would say we're constantly pushing on the value. I would say that we're constantly adding, right now our value to corporations is amazing. But we're constantly adding features. And we're constantly improving features and we constantly work on the product without increasing prices. And that essentially increases the value. That will be something that we're focusing right now. And the reason for this is simple. Like it's not an altruistic approach. Is that it's a huge market and we believe that essentially the market will consolidate. There will be a couple of winners. And by that time, we want to be much ahead on the product, much ahead on that sector, so that we, we, we will have a benefit from it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the things I can also imagine, because it's something that you start with it, but you want, we were talking about product-led growth. On the one hand side, you want customers to start using more of your product. And on the other hand, you also want them to start using the product more often, like the stickiness factor. What have you done mm-hmm. around that particular area? Right. That's actually a good question. Not many things outside of improving the product and not many things about outside of looking for customers that are using more research. This time around, so essentially one part of our focus for the next years is to actually show our clients or show our prospects of how they can efficiently use research more often to make better decisions. Yeah. So productize essentially that that is a focus of ours. For now, we haven't done that. It was something that you know we're growing other means, but right now we're we're looking for how the product can tell you how to do research, not you going to the product to ask for research. That's being proactive from a product level, and that's really simple at the end of the day, right? You know, do your brand tracking every month, or you know, let's find a package for that for a year. You will know exactly what's going on, or you know, a couple of simple yet very important methods to essentially have the product effectively tell you what you need to do. Yeah, it's the guiding principle. I mean, you go from, from a situation where it's reactive to a situation where you're proactive. And the good thing at the end is as well, and I'm, I mean, not sure whether you're doing that or whether that's, that is behind this, is that because you have multiple customers, you can see what they are doing as well. And that provides sort of a, an ID bench about, okay, they, these guys are doing this, how could this apply and, and add value to your company as well? Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to go back to, if you may allow me this, I'm going to go back with the data versus gut feeling on this one. And I think it's a good, it's a, it's a good example. Yes, we can go out and see exactly our biased sample of research is doing right now or non-biased, whatever you want to, you want to call it. But at the end of the day, we know what market research is being done for most of our clients. Like it's being well, well known data. Like you will do some brand tracking, you should do some very, you know, MPS scoring, this very simple things. So for this one, essentially, I wouldn't look for the data, 
we will implement a couple of things, but then after we, we've, we've implemented the three things that make sense, then it's the time to go look for the data. It's more of the, what makes sense? You know, at this point, it doesn't make sense to look at the data. We have a pretty good idea from the market. Yeah. I guess it's data again, but it's not really kind of a, an exercise. Let's look at the data to figure it out. I don't know if that's... Yeah, I understand, um, I understand it. I mean, but at the end, the data becomes then a sort of an engine and the more data, the more yeah, validation you get for it yourself as well. Like what is working, what is not right. working. And if you see certain and, things are working, other companies will likely benefit from it. That is correct. And I, I'm going to add something here that intuition or gut feeling, if I say, it's essentially data that you use the data that you have to come up to, with a decision, but you cannot completely explain why or how. It's yeah. not about you don't have the data. You do have the data. You heard it, you've listened, you've seen something, but you cannot really pinpoint it in a way to explain it. It's the human mind that actually compiles everything together and makes sense. I think that this is what sense is. True. I think that, that is also a big thing behind the whole value of your company that people want to validate thoughts because their mind thinks it's a, it, this is a good idea, but let's, let's back it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. How do I convince so, others? Exactly, exactly. So on that journey to come from where you started 2013 to where you are right now, what has been a decision that appeared to be really important for your company's growth momentum? Improving the product. Really, yeah. that was... Again, without being the you know, 100% of the focus, it can never be, but improving the product and figure out that this is where our strength is and understanding that you know, we're not ready for enterprise sales yet, like two, two years ago. Let's focus on our product. Let's focus on SEOs, focus on you know, self-serve model that we believe. We, we are like that. We're mostly geeks in the company, right? So your true, like, if you put your true values in your company, you will get the most value out. These things change though, you know, as we're going right now, we're moving more to enterprise and we have more use cases, but the true people point was when we focused on the product that truly switched the company, you know, elevated the company a lot. Okay. Makes sense. And so, well, one question that comes up then is that, so how did you see that? Did you see more companies starting to realize like the value of the product or did you see that your existing base started to use it more and broaden their, their spend with you? How do we realize so we will spend more with the product, invest more in well, the product? Well, I mean, that, that, where, the, where the tipping point came, what drove it specifically? Existing customers doing more or oh, new customers? Both. Actually? Both. Because the product is so core, that elevates in every direction. And before we focus on our product, we focus more on you know, sales, or we focus more on marketing, and we focus more on the peripherals. And if you don't have a strong base, essentially you're going to get more of a broken broken thing, you're going to get more of a half or one third of, but when you have a correct base and you, then you start investing in everything else, this is where you see the value. If you advertise a broken product, many people will come, but nobody will buy. Yeah, that's true. So what have you learned from selling this and bringing this to market? What has worked particularly well or what, what was a particular challenge that you had to crack first? Really, one of the lessons that uh, we had is that when we, when we started going, and we wanted more of a bigger companies, we wanted to go more in the enterprise world, then you started to see that, okay, you have the core, you have something that people want, but then all the other things started to play a big role. For example, simple things as packages, like selling the same thing, packaged very differently, is perceived very differently, and then you sell, and then you, we started seeing expanding within the organization, and then, then you start to see that the sales calls make sense now, and people want to talk to you. 
we were selling the same thing, but when we yeah. package it, you know, people have reference. It's simpler to understand. So what we're learning essentially is packaging, especially, is really, really important for enterprise. Do you mean you can sell packaging the same around thing. particular use cases or particular challenges that they have? Mostly about the pricing packaging. So, for example, we would be, here's our product, use our product, and then, you know, maybe, maybe give us some money up front or we give you some benefits. That's essentially phase one. When we package it and we call it an enterprise product and you're going to have this and this and this and that, that was completely different. And 90% of the features were the same. So the perception of I'm buying something, I'm buying the enterprise version, and then it's truly, it's truly an enterprise version. However, they got the enterprise version before. It's very different. So pricing, <laughs> maybe messaging is really important. Yeah, it's the magic of words, right? It's, yeah, uh, um, words can do so know, much to feeling and status yeah, that people are then suddenly giving themselves a story like, this is what I need. Right, and, uh, and not only about as a worth attribute, it's essentially also, it was too complicated the way we were selling it before, and now it's simple. And people yeah. like simple. People can talk to you, their colleagues and their bosses and their procurement about you know, something simple. If it's a complicated, who cares? Like, I have a kid, I have a, you know, a job, I, have, I, I need to mow the lawn, whatever it is. I don't want to worry about figuring it out. You figure it out and tell me what it is. That's true. It's simplicity in all. And, and often we think we are simple and we can still make it so much more simple from there. It's, it's, that's that's what it's all about. I'm just, every day and every week, I get still amazed by that aspect and what you can still do to make it even more, well, yeah, even easier to do business with yourself or to well, let your customers do business with you. So I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect, and in that book, I revealed the 10 traits of a remarkable software business. You're a founder and CEO of a company that has done particularly well in the last couple of years. What do you believe is a secret that, that you need to have as a company or as a team to create a remarkable software business? I can give you my best guess, but to answer this question, That's really, you. You, need to, you need to also question the people who are not successful. It's very biased to only answer the you know, people who consider to be successful. I would say definitely tenacity, like being there, essentially do something that is recurring. Do something, if you set your mind to something and you, if you say, we're going to improve this, stick with it. Like, don't forget about it. Many people forget things. Like a week later, like who cares about that? Or there's a meeting, like it's all hands meeting. Okay, maybe two months later, we're not going to do that. If you want to do something, stick with it until it fails and then, you know, go to a different direction. That would be one thing. The other thing will, will be simplicity again. Yeah. When we try to analyze the business in all these sectors and all the segments combined and everything all together, we came up with an impressive KPI sheet that people will envy, but told nothing about our business, essentially. We were working for the numbers. So it was going back to the simplicity you mentioned before, when we actually deleted everything and focused on two numbers. And that, that's the focus. This is really when the creativity hit. This is where people can be creative, not being bounded by numbers. So I would say, you know, essentially, when we deleted all of our KPIs, I get two, we really saw that we were way more productive. Yeah, and having good people. So if you want to do something and you're very lucky, very, very lucky. I mean, it's also about luck, but you also have tenacity, you, you like what you do and you have good people, your chances are better. So well, I, I guess that, that you, Ton, have seen many more. I'm very biased. I mean, maybe you can answer that question better than me. 
Well, I mean, sure. I wrote a book about it. Come on. <laughs> so, right, right. <laughs> but, but that doesn't mean that things don't change and that from the 10 traits that I picked up that I saw as a red thread through all the stories that I've been involved in, that there aren't, that aren't more. And I absolutely concur with a number of the things that you were saying. Well, from all these KPIs, you brought it back to two. What are the two that, that you found magic? And what that also intrigued me was that you say, okay, now that we have those metrics, it drives up the creativity of people. Mm-hmm. Which one are the KPIs? I'm going to give you some examples. I'm going to throw the KPIs in the end. I'm going to give you one example that is, you know, people can understand that better. So on the marketing side, right, we were going to be focusing on SEO and we were going to need to create more content and, you know, that people would read that would make sense. Okay. And when we started doing that, we were to, okay, let's optimize for viewership, then click-through rate then everything, you know, a bunch of funnel metrics there. And then let's make the whole content extremely good for SEO, like web crawlers. So, you know, links, interlinks and all that. The result of that was really something that nobody would read. Okay. So (laughs) because it was so optimized for the machine, nobody would read it. And then, yes, we would have people coming in because the machine or Google optimized for it or surfaced it. Nobody would read it. Nobody would convert. Nobody would, you know, say that, hey, you need to do surveys to convert. Nobody would read the thing. So we deleted everything and said, I don't care about no metric at all. I just want to have good content, like content that I would read, like skimmable. You can go through that. If I like it, if you like it, people will like it. And then, so that's a very strong example of ours that when we actually stopped looking at numbers for individual like click-through rates and everything, and we focused on actually make something that makes sense, it really worked out. And today, we have about a third of our clients coming from that. A year ago, it was zero. So we identify a new channel. The KPIs essentially are outside of the basic financials will be retention and acquisition. That's true. That's that's, that's a very meaningful thing. But the reason why I'm saying it gets people to be creative, links to trade number four in the book, it it makes people curious and makes people explore Mm -hmm. things, try new things out. And curiosity is absolutely a trait that remarkable software companies have. And it, it keeps them coming up with new ideas and stay fresh with the marketplace. And that point about mm-hmm. being relevant, spot on. It's all about mm-hmm. that at the end. It's almost like you're saying that uh, people that kind of blogs that people read, content that people read. You could be almost say content that people like, well, could even share, you know? Yeah. Um, like the whole thing about the content is that I wrote five paragraphs, right? Or 10 or whatever it is. And I just want the user to read you need to do research for ideas validation. You know, that's one thing. Close the article, think about it, and a month later, you know, do research. That's the whole point of it. So really anything else is being noise, I think. That's true. That's true, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I also like the point that you made about that it was optimized for the machine. No one likes to read it. That's what I see a lot in, in marketing, in tech marketing. You know, we use language we would never use in normal life. I always say, how would, you, how would you explain it if you were just having a cup of coffee with the reader? You know, you would mm-hmm. never use that language. One of the persons that I admire for her skills around storytelling, Bernadette Jiwa, she once said yeah, in a conversation that we have on her tribe, if you forget the word marketing, just skip it from your vocabulary and replace it with having a helpful conversation. That's all right. also very helpful. That's, yeah, that's exactly what it's about. And that's what people want. Right. They want to have answers to their problem, they want to solve. They want to solve something, and if you can do that, they come to you. 
So I like like those learnings. Talking you about like, also, talk- I mean, one thing I also I would like to note here: there is also a lot of buzz around making websites and making content more accessible. Because if you go now go to ninety percent of the websites, you will see like pop-ups going on, uh, chats and this and that and everything to capture the lead going to the MQL word, but that doesn't make sense now. Sure. And there's a whole shift towards, you know, optimize for the feeling of the user, the user experience. And that's, so the, the MQL things are going away or have a different meaning now. And we definitely see that a lot. If you capture an email, somebody's email, it means nothing anymore. True. You need to capture so, their attention. Yeah, it's building trust. And if the trust mm-hmm. is there and you're, you're there at the right moment, then it will come. So what are you most proud of with achieving so far? Do you have a customer anecdote that, that really inspired you, for example? Yeah, actually, I do. We recently allow customers to post their reviews online for everybody who see, positive and negatives. When we actually saw that and, you know, being written somewhere independently and the customer is saying that, you know, it's a very cost-effective, fast quality and the service was amazing, actually our values was actually phrased by a customer of ours without any, any interaction. That was like the great moment of 2020. Throughout the years, we were very proud for many things, you know, our clientele or, you know, the very fact that people respond to surveys. We didn't know that. We're very proud when that happened. But now I would say it's like voice of the customer to actually see that the customer feels what we want them to feel. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that that's what you do it for. And if they do that without asking... That is a big achievement. So let me see. You talked about this. Yeah, from all the, um, yeah, throughout your journey now, the things that you learned as a CEO, f- from all the tidbits of wisdom that you've gathered, what is a piece of advice that you could give other tech CEOs or people that aspire to be a tech CEO to do? Right. So I would say something that, you know, it's been very well known. People say it's about, it's all about the team. However, with an asterisk, like give your team 100% of your trust, but only if they earn it. If they haven't earned it, don't do it because you read a TechCrunch or whatever, somebody told you so. That's a very hidden asterisk there is that, of course, you need to give your whole trust to scaling get ideas, but the people need to earn it first. And this is where it focus a lot more to give opportunities to earn the trust and the people in the company. And when that happens, you know, go ahead and, you know, create for the company. Your voice will be heard. You'll be elevated. You're going to see things happening. Until then, I mean, I believe that we prematurely gave trust with, you know, a couple of people, especially in the beginning. That didn't go well. And so I would say the popular saying of give trust to your people comes with an asterisk. Okay. So did it turn out well to give people trust or didn't it turn out well? When you, yeah. took, when you give people trust that first they earn your trust and then you give it the whole trust, it's amazing. This is where we saw scale and we saw people grow and the company growing. I can occur, I concur with that. I mean, the moment, the, it's often hard to give that trust away because we believe that they're not ready for it, but people are responsible. You know, they won't mess it up. They do the best possible thing. And if you're there to make them succeed, you know, it's wise advice. And I think there's too many people out there that are doing too much micromanaging and that's, that kills everything. And it's the same example again with your KPIs because they will invent KPIs for everything. And that kills creativity and it kills the rest as well. So where do you want to go next with your company? Where do you envision to be in 12 or 24 months time? 
Okay, I thought you were going to be saying years, and I was like, <laughs> I had the answer. No, I don't know. So again, and nothing changed in terms of our focus. Focus again in product provided values that our clients are requesting right now a lot. Going into the enterprise more and more, and we're going to start exploring how research can be proactive and not reactive. We are only reactive right now, and that's going to be a big thing for us. Yeah, I can imagine that is where the world is going. There's so many people on the podcast that have moved from from proactive to no, from reactive to proactive to to prescriptive. That's where the real value comes. Very good. So where can people go and find out more about Polfish and to connect with you to say hi? Yeah, I'm jonapolfish.com and everything they need to or they want to know is going to be on our website, polfish.com. It's P-O-L-L-F-I-S-H. And again, Tom, thank you so much for having me and Polfish in your podcast. I have a question. What's next for you in the next year and two years? That's a very good question. Thanks for asking. I wasn't expecting this one. I've started a transformation beginning of this year with the release of my book that has they'll told me a couple of valuable, valuable lessons in terms of kind of the more aspirational goal that I have that I want to help thousands of business software companies to release their remarkable effect. That's why the title of the book comes in. My business has always been project-oriented and with the, with the book coming and people filling in the remarkable index and uh, my assessment online, coming to me saying, hey, I didn't score too well. I did score, for example, three stars out of five. What's the medicine? And I realized that answering all those questions was not going to be scalable for me. So I started my, my tribe and building my tribe. But that's the focus for, for the next 12 months, 12, 24 months. To make that a reality, it's, it's well underway. I started it small. And yeah, we bring it together like-minded tech entrepreneurs from around the world that want to create something big and realize that together they're stronger. And yeah, together they can remove their blind spots and achieve what they want to achieve faster and with more impact. And that is extremely inspiring. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. When you get with like-minded with like people one way or another, that's yeah. a way to grow. Yeah, exactly. So thanks for the question. For the question. Finally, someone asked something back. <laughs> You're the first, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> this was fun. And I, I learned a great deal from, from this. I wrote in a couple, uh, well, more than one note. And I particularly liked one nugget I want to highlight from this call, and I'm going to do that also in the show notes, is your urge for simplicity. And that by having less metrics, you create more creativity and at the end more results. And I believe in that. Thanks. Thank you, Tom, for your time. And this ends my conversation with John. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share this with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to John Papadakis, founder and CEO of Polfish. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. 
Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.